Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast, where I bring you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. This is Ryan Tansom, your host, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is Ryan Tansom here. Today's guest's name is Mark Raderstorff. Mark founded a company called BMI, which is Behavioral Medical Interventions, that provided psychiatric and physical disability management services. He had 25 employees. They were working nationwide. They had great relationships with large insurance carriers. And Mark explains and walks us through the journey of growing the business, all the struggles of owning a company, what were some of the thoughts he had as he was deciding to sell and what the triggering events were and how he came to his number. And he actually had a whole experience of walking down the aisle with a private equity firm that took about a year before the deal actually imploded. And then he explains who he eventually sold to and why and what he's doing now. So lots of great nuggets in here. Mark is very, very open and honest about all the things that he went through throughout the journey. This episode of Life After Business is sponsored by The Valley Advantage. The Valley Advantage is a platform delivered via peer groups and or one-on-one to help you build a valuable company that can thrive without you while putting an exit plan in place so you have the options to sell when you want to who you want for how much you want. You're able to manage the business by the numbers, work in the business as much or as little as you want, and you fully understand how the business impacts your personal financials. If you want to know more, check out the show notes or the website. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy the interview with Mark. Mark, how are you doing today? Good. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I, uh, I'm very excited to have you. We had a mutual contact that introduced us, and you guys have a nice little business peer group that I got to join and found out yep. that you yourself have gone through an exit, so I was pretty excited to have you on the show. And for our listeners' benefit, um, can you just bring us back to the day that you had decided to become an entrepreneur and kind of what got you into it? Oh, the day I decided to become an entrepreneur. Well, uh, I guess the day I decided to become an entrepreneur is when I decided to go into private practice. <laughs> um, so I'm a psychologist by training. And I was, uh, at the time, I was uh, working at the University of Minnesota Medical School in the, the Department of Family Practice. And uh, I decided to launch into private practice. Uh, because I didn't have an MD behind my name, <laughs> and in medical school, MDs are are uh, th- those are the folks that are making all the decisions. And I just saw that there would just be more opportunities um, uh, for me in private practice. So, boy, that was back in the uh, in the late '80s. You had a unique uh, subject specialty in your practice. You want to kind of give us some light into what was the the focus that you had yeah my my my, the focus uh i'm a psychologist by training but my specialty area has been working in rehabilitation psychology which is essentially working with people who who have an injury or disability so the type of patients i've worked with usually have some type of injury or medical condition or disability that's a major impact on their life and I help them with their emotional, psychological adjustment as well as their vocational or career adjustment. Uh, because often folks need to either augment, change their career, sometimes totally change out uh, what they're doing work-wise. 
And, and, and what are some of the disabilities? Because I know there's kind of a wide range, isn't there? Oh, yeah. It, it ranges from, you know, severely physically disabled folks. I work with people with um, spinal cord injuries, paraplegics, quadriplegics. I work with people who have lost uh, a limb, amputees, people with uh, brain injuries, uh, people who have experienced a stroke or burn. Um, uh, and then uh, there are more um, uh, more common work injuries are back and neck injuries. People that have had a bad back or bad neck and can't continue in something uh, really physically uh, demanding. So uh, what, what was like, I mean, when you're obviously being a psychologist, you're, you've you've already got the, the blessing of patience and empathy, but you know, what led you to get in? I mean, was it something to do with family or background or experience that led you to, to focus in and narrow in on this? Um, well, I've always been service oriented way back in high school and college. I got involved in service clubs. I, I've always wanted to be of assistance in helping people. Um, uh, I did have, uh, in, in hindsight now, <clears throat> I did have an older brother. My oldest brother had a, uh, a football injury hmm. and almost died from a, um, an aneurysm. Oh, my gosh. And this is back, you know, there's a lot of focus now on concussions and concussion management. Well, back in the 70s, there was none. Uh -huh. and, and I think that that really led to, you know, having my eyes open in terms of how, a dis, you know, how an injury can impact an individual. And I didn't really put two and two together till several, several years later that that's maybe how I got into the rehab field. Yeah, that, I'm sure, you, I mean, that it probably affected your entire family. Yeah, yeah, he ended up he ended up surviving, but drastically changed his trajectory in terms of his career. He went he went from being big man on campus uh, to uh, you know being an invalid for almost six months, and that that was real eye opening. So, yeah, I can only imagine. So you you, you jumped into private practice, and I'm I'm excited to kind of pick your brain on it because you're you're in the specialty of where there's a lot of where you're. You're in the professional services realm where I've had some other people on the show where we talk about the challenges of having a professional services firm, whether you're an attorney, an accountant, or a consultant, or a psychologist like yourself. Building a business can be complicated because you're layering other people that are doing billable times and such. And, you know, you ended up creating a, a business with, I think you said, is it 25 employees that you had at one point? Yeah. Yeah. When I sold the business, it had 25 employees. Yeah. So can you kind of just kind of walk us through the, the journey that you had from how did you what was some of the ways that you were staffing out what were this products and services that you were doing and as you were building this this business well as i as i as i grew my private practice and of course a lot of it there's a lot of good clinicians out there there's a lot of good psychologists out there but the key to having a su successful private practice is to being able to market yourself and in knowing how to develop relationships with referral sources that that patients just don't magically end up in your office and um, so I, I had some success at the beginning in terms of building relationships with with referral sources and uh, I had gotten to the point I remember clearly uh, the conversation I had with my wife uh, I was getting so busy uh, I said uh, I went I remember having conversation with her um, 
that went something like, you know, um, I'm either going to have to say start saying no to referrals or I'm going to need to hire somebody uh, to, to, to handle the overflow. And um, we were at a key point in our life with our my son. I remember my son was nine years old uh, and he's now just turned 30. So that was 21 years ago. Um, and we decided that she would ramp down in her work and that I would ramp up and uh, attempt to, you know, build a build a business, build a larger practice. And so I hired one employee, <laughs> uh, then I hired another, and things just kind of took off. And That's awesome. uh, yeah, it uh, it was just, you know, some of it was luck being at the right place at the right time. Um, but it was also willingness to kind of take on take on the risk, take on the office space, hire hire clerical staff that 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 don't generate billable hours. You know, taking on taking on all those issues, providing health and in, providing health insurance right. uh, to employees. You know, those are all those are all big ticket items. Well, it's a lot different than just you're all of a sudden you're building you're building a business and not necessarily just treating patients. It's it's a different kind of role yep. than you probably assumed at the beginning yes yes and 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 then um i i went beyond um you know just treating treating patients and their recovery we we ended up developing relationships ultimately developing sort of a national reputation with several large employers and insurance carriers uh to assist their employees and their claimants to return to work, and um, it it ended up, you know, it ended up being mind-boggling. <laughs> so, did you guys have contracts then with those those providers and those uh, larger companies, or like what was the what was the nature of the relationship? Like, how, what was it structured like? Um, we would have with with some of the larger ones, yes. With some of the larger insurance carriers, uh, we 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 did develop uh, contracts. Others, it was more of a reputation and uh, them discovering, you know, that that we did good work and 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 the end result was, you know, our our whole focus uh, the 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 private practice went from being Raiderstorf and Associates to behavioral medical interventions or BMI was the name of the company. People saw that if you referred cases to BMI. Uh, there was a good chance that the individual would recover and return back to work. So our, our focus was all in helping people uh, return back to work. And, and um, uh, you know, uh, our reputation got out there. So, you know, when you're having that decision with your, that conversation with your wife, I mean, what, what was it like? Because, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a joint team decision, you know, to, to have someone give up their career for the better of the family. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> what, what, yeah. what was that like? Well, um, she was actually at that time, she was one working full time and carrying the benefits. I was working just three days a week uh, in private practice. And uh, so we had to switch. We, uh, we had to make this change. And I think she was at a point in her career where she was ready to uh, perhaps uh, you know make a change herself. Uh, I was I was getting to the point where, yeah, I think that I was ready for an, an additional challenge. So the timing was right, and um, we you know we we just worked through it, and 
and uh, it was definitely a team effort. I, I, I couldn't um, it, I, I couldn't have done this without the support of my wife all through the uh, you know the 15 plus years that that I was growing the business. So uh, well, yeah, I think you and I have had a couple conversations about the the role of a spouse a little bit, and you know I don't know if you got any two cents on that because you know we I've never really dove into that on the show before, but I think you know the spouse is such a huge asset to an entrepreneur because of how lonely it can be. Yes, yeah, it's it's a really you know as I reflect on you know my marriage and my relationship with Linda and. Um, you know her role in my success. It's a delicate balance uh, to have because um, it's important, I think, to share with your spouse, you know, what's going on with the business. But you don't want to overload it, or you know, have all your conversations when you're together about the business. And I and I think. I think that there were times when I did, uh, I erred um, <laughs> by by spending too much time uh, focused on the business and not not enough time maybe on on her life and uh, or on the kids. Um, what would you have done differently? Um, I think I would have. I think I would have tried to take better care of myself, uh, so to speak. In that. Um, one of the reasons why I got out was I found myself as, you know, you build more and more and you take on more people. And when you get to a point where you have 25 employees, you know, there's a lot of stress and worry around that. And um, being able to just kind of at the end of the day, go home and turn it off and um, uh, not spend so much time Thinking about the business, but being you know being more present for your kids. Um, I mean, I try to be a very involved father <clears throat> in terms of volunteering and coaching and so forth. But I think there were times when you know I was at home, but not really present at home. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and and it's more about drawing a limit with the business to saying okay. My employees can handle this or, you know, this customer, uh, this issue can wait. Um, family's important. I, I think in retrospect, um, I wish I would have said no, no more often to the business demands um, versus the family demands. Um, yeah, we so. are, that, that's a huge topic going around, like saying, just being able to say no. I mean, just mm-hmm. not taking on more stuff. So when you when you're referring, you wish you would have taken better care of yourself. Are you referring mm-hmm. to physically or mentally? I would say mentally. I, I've taken pretty pretty good care of myself physically. So I got into running marathons and still 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 doing t- taking that on even at the age of sixty two. You're sixty two. Uh, Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, you look really good for sixty-two. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, you know, I've tried to take care of myself physically. Um, it's more, it's more uh, uh, saying saying no to some of the demands, and and it's, you know, in hindsight, I can see that the business can just gobble you up if you let it. <laughs> the demands of the business uh, and you've got to draw a line somewhere where to say okay um, 
I've done what I can here. I've done my best today, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go home and turn it off. And I, I, uh, as I as I was growing my business, I looked for mentors, and I tried to find people that could give me some guidance. And it's it's very rare that I found a business owner that had good balance in their life. You know that's that, the truth. <laughs> I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a it's a never-ending uh, open pit to pour your energy into, if you want. There's always things that you can do to be to to grow your business, and that's where you've got to you got to be able to pull out of it and um, and enjoy enjoy the your family and enjoy life. Um, so as you were growing the business, did you? Because I agree, you know, when you said that it's an endless pit of energy that you can mm-hmm. devote to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was there some I think every entrepreneur's got it in their head whether is it revenue or size or deals that you were trying to close like what was the the driving force for the metrics or was it just deal flow because of your reputation well it was a driving force um, of that was like was there certain achievements you were trying to hit with like milestones in the business you know, no, not really, not really. Um, uh, and you know, in retrospect, now that I've, you know, I'm five years removed from owning the business, um, what what I ended up, how I how I got to the point where I decided I wanted to sell my business is, I about the time I turned fifty, I started asking questions of myself like is this what I want to do the rest of my life? I've got this nice little business. Uh, it provides for a good income. It continues to grow. And uh, I found myself um, being spending more and more energy on managing people, managing customers, uh, dealing with customer complaints, dealing with employee complaints, and less uh, impacting the daily lives of people, which is, you know, frankly, one of the reasons why I went into psychology and went, in, went into the rehab field is to try to, in, my, in a small way, maybe impact people's lives. And so I decided, uh, you know, probably 10 years ago, um, you know, 2007, 2008, that, eh, I, I think I, I want to move on and I want to do something different, that I still was young enough that I could still, you know, have have another career or a second career, if you want to call it. Um, and so that's when I decided to get the business ready to sell. And it took took two or three years to get it ready. And um, fortunately, I was able to execute it. And uh, it sold at the end of uh, 2010. And then I stayed on for six months. And I was out um, by 2011. And my wife and I went off to Ecuador and had a wonderful sabbatical in Ecuador for seven months. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, so you make yeah. it you make it sound super easy, huh? <laughs> like I'm so, <laughs> I want I want to unpack it because you know your time frame of two to three years. I I just want to kind of walk through some of the steps that you did. Like, so where was the first place you turned when you said got it ready for sale? What are some of the things that you did as you were doing this? Well, I started being, uh, you've probably heard this, but the value of your company is inversely proportional to how important it is that you run the company. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so I knew that if I continued to be, you know, the figurehead of the company, um, that the value of the company and, and the, the marketability of the company um, was, was not going to be as great. So I started, I brought in two key employees. Um, Where did you find I, them? Um, one was, one was a friend. The other was a, uh, um, I just posted an ad in the, in, in the, in the paper and, uh, she was a nurse who worked at Alina and, um, I offered her a package that included equity and, um, I ended up having four shareholders come on board. Okay. And that, and that was one of the first key steps in a service business is, I, I think I realized that if you want to have good people be on your team, you either have to compensate them very, very well, or you have to give them a piece of the pie. Uh, and, and I ended up having two doctors, two physicians, one nurse, and one psychologist become shareholders. And their um, piece of the pie was really small in the grand scheme of things. The 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 four of them, um, I think their equity was equal ten percent. So oh, I ended so not much then, yeah. Yeah, I ended up owning ninety percent of the company, and they owned ten percent. But I tell you, it really it really created a loyalty and a commitment. Um, it was a really good two-way agreement, I think. So um, how, did, how did you get the business valued as you were, this, you know, like how are you quantifying that for them and like how did you vest it and what was kind of the, the, the makeup of the agreements? Yeah, well, I ended up, um, it was sweat equity, so they, they would put in billable hours and in return, in, in lieu of being paid, uh, they would get they would get a certain percent, and we the agreements were all maxed out at a certain level, uh, and they were all of them were very agreeable to doing that. Um, um, I'm sorry, what was your other question? It was well, because I think you kind of answered it. But oh, how did how did you value it at the same time? So they were vesting or using sweat yeah. equity, but what was the kind of the how? Yeah. The I ended up having a CFO consultant. I, I hired a. a uh, a, a gentleman who was instrumental in helping me be successful in selling the business, uh, and of, and of course I'm sure you hear this. You surround you surround yourself by people that have expertise that you don't have, and he ended up value evaluating the company and determining sort of a fair value. And um, my shareholders didn't have any issues with it. I mean, you try to be fair about it. Mm -hmm. Did they know what the plan was? I, uh, um, they knew that selling the business, yes, they knew that selling the business was going to be the exit plan. Now, when that was going to happen, <laughs> how it was going to happen, uh, I ended up, um, selling the business, you know, privately. I didn't go to a broker and, um, I didn't put it out on the, on the, you know, the free market, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And uh, I probably picked the worst time to try to push forward with selling it because it was right after the financial downturn in 2008, 2009 that uh, uh, I, I had my first nibble 
Uh, it was a private equity group out of Boston, and um, that ended up going nowhere. And boy, that was a lot. That was a lot of wasted time and energy. I've, <laughs> but, I've heard the stories. <laughs> but I, but I shouldn't say it wasn't wasted. No, I learned. I learned. It was disappointing that I spent so much time and effort, and then it never came to fruition. But boy, I learned a lot in that in that process. How did you end up meeting them if you were not uh, working with a broker? Uh, it was an industry um, specialty. Um, uh, one of our partners um, had had gotten bought by this private equity firm, and I privately let them know that um, I was open to selling. And so the president of the of our partner let the private equity firm know about it. And, we had we had discussions. What was some of the biggest biggest things that you learned out of that whole experience? Um, <laughs> uh, I go back to show me the money, <laughs> um, because ultimately um, they didn't have uh, authority. Um, that that's what killed the deal is they didn't have authority to. Um, come up with the money to buy the business and I, I should have asked more I should have asked more questions about their financial uh, situation versus it being really one-sided about them asking about my financial situation I mean we we continued to grow through the uh, the economic downturn we ended up having I think a uh, a 25% growth in 2008-2009 which I think in retrospect was pretty impressive um, and so they could see the growth, but they ended up, at least that's what I was told, is that they, they couldn't come up with the funding for it. So Interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a whole long conversation itself because the private equity route, um, usually, like, the stats are that the private equity firms that talk directly to an owner end up getting like one or two multiples less. But then you don't even, you don't know where you're where they're getting their money. What kind of whether it's from pension funds or from large you know institutions or affluent individuals or whether they have the money now or later. Did you was it one of the things where they would have to go raise it once they got the approval or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I didn't know all the deals about it or you know all the uh, details about it. And this is where my lack of financial knowledge you know came into play and um you know i just think it's important to if you have a suitor you know just make sure that they have the money they say they have to buy it and, and don't go down a long trail with them only to be disappointed <laughs> how much time did you spend throughout that whole process mm, it was about a year and oh, man <laughs> yeah and and what uh, you know, as I look back in retrospect, it is it is very um, stressful trying to sell your company. Um, I made a decision, uh, and I, I don't. I guess I don't have any regrets. I think I'd do this again, but I made a decision to keep this quiet and to not share it with my employees. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was very selective about who I talked to about it. Obviously, my shareholders knew about it. My wife knew about it. Close friends and confidants knew about it, but I didn't. I didn't share it at all with uh, with my employees, and that that can be very stressful. <laughs> well, like, you know, I just knowing you, I can probably imagine that you're a very open and transparent individual. And yeah. What I struggled with when we were going through that is, here I am with my family and friends, and half of them are like my best friends, and you, don't you just kind of feel like you're cheating on them for some yeah. reason? Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I felt, I felt, I felt, uh, yeah, I felt uh, some you know, some guilt after after. Executing the sale and and announcing to them uh, the sale of the business, there were there were some that were just pissed. They were, mad, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, you know. To me, it's you know the happiest day of my life, and you know here you have these dedicated employees that are mad at you, and so it's it's a mixed bag, you know. It's mm-hmm. my my worry was that they would if they heard, they got wind of it that, that they'd start looking and and. Uh, you know, I realize that when when you're selling a service business, you're you're essentially selling a group of people that work together that provide a good service, and you know the suitor is buying a uh, buying a group of people, uh, and and they're the key asset, and uh, and so I don't think I'd do it any differently, but I I guess I would. What did you do I, with those people that were like as you're passing? Well, first of all. I got two questions about that is, you know, how did you make sure that they stayed and were happy with the decision? Because I'm assuming some part of your payout was a, was affected by that. But then also before you answer that, can, how, you know, let's go back to the, you know, you, you get done with this whole distraction with the private equity route. Where did you go to the next step to find this eventual acquirer? Well, <clears throat> You know, after the disappointment with the private equity group, I said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna shelve this for at least six months and just get back to get back to focusing on growing the business." And then, uh, and then another suitor came knocking, like in the next two months, three months later. Um, and this was a um, a part another partner of ours. And uh, again, I had a very private conversation. He approached me and said, "Mark, you know, I really like your company. Uh, are you interested in selling?" And I said, uh, "Well, yeah, if it's at, at the right price, <laughs> right. Uh, uh, I would." And um, and then that was that. That took another year uh, before we executed partner, that. When you say partner, is that like one of your customers or uh, another like a complimentary firm or what? Well, yeah. So this was a this was a firm out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and you know I can talk openly about it because they ended up buying it. So they they specialized in dealing with traumatic events in the workplace. So whenever you hear of um, you know a violent incident in the workplace or a shooting in the workplace, they respond within 24 hours and send in counselors to help with tra- uh, traumatic stress debriefings. And and what they were missing was a, a service to help people come back to work or to help them return back to work. Mm-hmm. So it was a natural um, bridge or a natural uh, complement to their services. And uh, so this company called Crisis Care Network ended up buying BMI. Um, and, you know, five years later, they're doing quite well. They've They've doubled the size of the company, and um, they just moved into a nice new building on 494. Uh, they rebranded. They're now called R3 Continuum, uh, and I went to their open house last week, and they've got this. They've got some really nice offices. Uh, it's right next to the Vikings training facility, and you can see the the signage on the building. They've they've done quite quite well and and uh and so i'm i'm happy for them and i'm happy for my employees that are still with them that 
they're now now on to bigger and better challenges in their career. Yeah, that's a good feeling, isn't it? And so mm-hmm. let's go back to my second question. So you you got a year. I'm assuming that you're well, lots of due diligence, or like what was like kind of walk us through like how did you value it? What were the terms that you were kind of seeking out, or like how like yeah. You know, we don't have to get, uh, disclose any of the, the fine details, but, you know, there's a lot of earnouts that are in the space that you're kind of in or different um, different conditions that are usually involved in the deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I ended up doing, and, I, and I've, I advise this to other people in this situation that are looking at selling is, is figuring out what your number is. You know, what is your number that you want to achieve in your business? And then once you get that number – get out <laughs> be, um, be, and and um, you know I say that with with having some hindsight now looking in the rearview mirror you know my wife and I have said on many occasions we traded time for money um, we could have easily held on to this business and probably sold it for you know today for twice of what I got uh, I got for it five years ago um, but we decided that we wanted to spend this time uh, uh, doing other things, and we've done a lot of wonderful things. Um, and so I think it's important uh, that you you know you you set the bar, and then once you get there, um, you know try to try to execute the deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, so in my situation, um, you know, my CFO advised what he thought was reasonable. Um, the, the, the company continued to grow um, while in the year that I was negotiating. And ironically, in the 11th hour, my CFO consultant, who I, who I really value his opinion, he said to me, he said, Mark, you should not sell this this is too low of a price you you should hang on to this and um, you know um, look at look at selling another year or two from now and I looked at I looked at Craig and I said Craig you know I, I I'm ready to move on I'm ha- I'm happy with where I'm at this is enough uh, so I went against the, <laughs> the advice of my CFO uh, and and executed the deal um, because uh, you know we were ready to my wife and I were ready to move on to other it's, other things. Well, and you've already I've I've been through the exact situation when you emotionally flip flop between between selling, not selling, selling, not selling. Mm-hmm. At some point, the money doesn't matter because the emotional toll it takes on you and like you just your focus is is mm-hmm. is uh, hard to quantify. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And so the the uh, the parameters of the deal were you know I think he paid forty percent up front. And then 60% was paid over five years, uh, so he had payments uh, over five years. And, and was, that, was there uh, any kind of? This kind of goes back to that original question I had about the employees. Was it like a promissory note where it was just guaranteed, or was there kind of retention of staff and billable time? Or yeah, no, there wasn't any. There wasn't any um, uh, uh, contingency, you know, based on staff. No, it was a, it was a promise. It was forty percent upfront, and then payments over five years. Uh, I ended up staying on for six months um, after executing, and, and and was on salary. And 
I think that that was one of the hardest periods <laughs> for me. <laughs> what was uh, hard for, about it? Uh, having the having the title uh, president and not having any authority, and and my you know my employees coming to me uh, saying you know they're changing this benefit and and they're changing the vacation plan and you know this isn't fair, Mark and and I you know I had no authority. It's it, um, I, I think that once you sell, the quicker you can get out, the less stressful it is. For you and uh, everybody, probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and frankly, it wasn't until I went off to Ecuador that I could really uh, turn it off, you know, because even even after the new president came in, she ended up, you know, and this is this is me not being good with maybe limit setting, but she wanted my advice, and um, and I tried to help her and. Uh, it wasn't until I went off to Ecuador, where you had limited cell phone coverage and limited internet coverage, that I could really step away. You know. So, was that plan? You know, as you're emotionally, you got to have like probably one and a half feet out the door as you're thinking about what's next. I mean, when you decided to like stay on, was that? Did you already have that six months, and did you have the Ecuador trip planned, or like where did I like? all those pieces fall on or were you just like we got to get out of here and you had a place in mind yes we had we had thought about ecuador um way back when the private equity firm was was courting us um uh, and so that was our goal was my my wife uh, teaches at normandale community college she had she was able to get a sabbatical the youngest of my three kids went off to college, and my daughter Jenna gave us a blessing to to go to Ecuador. And so we, um, yeah, we 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 that was uh, that was our our grand plan was to sell the business and take the sabbatical to Ecuador, and then you know spend that time figuring out what we wanted to do the, with the next stage of our life. So walk us through that, those conversations because the when I was chatting with you and your group, and as I had mentioned, a lot of the owners people I've talked to in the show where that's the hardest part you know once you get the money it's like what do you do now that you don't have all of these people knocking on your door to solve their problems you know like what's the internal dialogue that you and your wife are having yeah well so I think it's uh you know I'll try to answer that question and, and direct me if I'm not hitting the mark here but you know I um I I advise people, and, and some of what I'm doing now, I'm I'm just I'm working three days a week in private practice, but I I do some counseling with people who are um, you know my my generation or you know baby boomers who are looking for their encore career, so to speak. Um, I think the more time that and energy you can spend on what's next around the corner, the better the adjustment's going to be. But it's it's a tricky thing. It's because it's really hard when you're getting ready to sell a business because all of your focus is uh, on getting the business ready. Is it going to happen? Um, you know the negotiations. It, it's a very stressful time, and it's it's important not to get too far down the road um, because I did get too far down the road with a private equity company, and that then that fell apart. Um, but it's it's also important to to talk through. Okay, what 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 are we going to do once we once we you know get out of this uh, the business? Uh, and 
I ended up I ended up spending probably a year, you know, kind of figuring that out after I got back from Ecuador. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I'm very happy with my life now. Did it did it take you a while to adjust? Yes, yes, it did. It did. What were some of the hardest parts about the adjustment? Um, you go from being a big fish in a little pond to being a little fish in a big pond, <laughs> <laughs> uh, essentially. Um, you know, you end up going from where in a you know when you're in an industry and everybody knows you and and uh, you know your employees know you and your partners and so forth. And then suddenly there's this whole new world out there. It's like, God, where do I, where do I spend my time? Where do I focus my energy? Uh, there's, there's lots, so many choices out there. And uh, you know, I ended up exploring the nonprofit space for a while, thinking that maybe I could be an executive director for a nonprofit. But I, I quickly found that there weren't that many opportunities. And uh, I, I really wanted to focus on serving kids or, you know, being um, uh, working with kids at risk. And uh, I figured out that I could work three days a week in private practice and then volunteer two days a week uh, in the schools and, and still have that impact. So that's that's what my life is now. Uh, three days a week, private practice and volunteering the other two days a week. That's it's an awesome story. And I, and I just um, I, I thank you for sharing it, because, I mean, I think hearing someone that's gone through the transition and I mean you've got there was a, it's definitely not a smooth role but you, you know you were able to kind of unwind it and like you said finding the perfect balance is I think the whole key I mean you, you yeah it. yeah uh, Mark what is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you um I I think just uh, either by email or or at my office uh, so I'm I'm in St. Louis Park and uh, my email is uh, mark at raiderstorffassociates.com. Um, so that's uh, my last name spelled R-A-D-E-R-S-T-O-R-F, associates, plural, dot com. Uh, or our clinic number is uh, 612-823-5187. Mark, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Sure. Well, Ryan, thanks for having me. It's been... <laughs> I, I really haven't talked to somebody like this uh, since I exited, so it's kind of fun to recall the uh, the journey. Well, it's it's great to be able to have someone that can share it too, because the whole point with our listeners is hearing it from people that have been there, so that way it doesn't feel like the first and only time when you go through it eventually. <laughs> yes, yes, and I'm and I'm I'm really glad to help other people out there. I I, I learned a few things, so I'm very glad to uh, help other folks that may be in the same same boat because we all need mentors we all need uh we all need people to to help us uh, get down the road well thanks again mark yep okay thanks brian thanks for having me